This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. Well, there's always comfort in numbers, gentlemen. Uh, even when you're used to being out there all by yourself on that limb, uh, yours truly, most especially here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Kyle Odegaard knows, I think of which I speak a little bit, being the math guy. Uh, Darren Urban having to shut down those in the mailbag, which is where I go with this because a little bit later, yes, indeed, as long as Larry does not make a decision, I will indeed have yet another theory. Or two. But, Darren, I was topped. I have to say, I had to work hard this week to top your lead entry in the mailbag, which I believe was a fine fan of the Red Sea, Rise Up. And they wondered if Larry could indeed be a player coach for the Arizona Cardinals in 2021. And I said, you know what? Dang it, I didn't think of that one. Well, maybe it's good that you didn't think of that one, Paul, because I I believe by rule it is not legal. Uh, There's actually... Mm. I believe last year when the Broncos were going through their COVID quarterback issue, I think it was that. I think that's what the circumstance was. They actually talked about having one of their coaches be active for the game, and you're like, that that doesn't work. There's salary cap implications. It just can't happen. So, unfortunately, no. In fact, we we went through it ourselves, guys, when Larry Foote was trying to decide whether to play or whether to coach uh, with what turned out to be his first-year coaching. he was on the fence, and there was some talk about well, could he be a player coach, but that's not allowed. So, Yeah, that is a good point. That's right. The, the Broncos, right, they had zero QBs in their QB room. Uh, and even the Buccaneers towards the very end. Didn't Drew Stanton get a ring? Because all I know is I did a Zoom broadcast with former Cardinal, former NFL player Drew Stanton. I think it was November, just this past November. And then I look – on the Super Bowl roster, or I saw on Twitter before the Super Bowl, and Drew Stanton was dressing for the game. I'm like, where'd that come from, Kyle? That, that's the way to do it. You think you're retired, and then Bruce Arians calls up and say, hey, you want to come to our practice squad and grab a Super Bowl ring? So, of course, he did it. And what the legend he can tell in you know 40 years is that he was one play away from being the starting quarterback, and he would have led them to the title. And some guy named Tom Brady eventually did it, but but Drew Stanton was ready to to lead that team. By the way, you guys do realize that Larry Fitzgerald did speak this week for more than an hour. It was on a golf podcast out of the Whisper Rock Country Club. No joke. In fact, I retweeted it out at Paul Calvisi. And a few of the highlights, we'll get to the football end of it a little bit later, because I think there was about 11 seconds of the more than an hour spent on football. The rest was golf. And a few fun factoids on Fitz when it comes to golf. He says he is yet, knock on wood, to hit a spectator during the Pebble Beach Pro-Am or in the other events where there's an actual gallery. He's yet to hit a spectator. Uh, He says he never lies in golf, never lies, never cheats, never improves his lie. He says it's, quote, bad karma. Uh, He also mentioned he's spoken to Tiger Woods a couple of times after the accident just to give him support. So those are a few of of the takeaways uh, of Larry. And he said his biggest regret so far was that he wasted eight years of great golf in Arizona before he learned to play the game, that he started eight years too late. So here's my question, Paul. Did you listen to that entire hour because you were that enthused about Larry Fitzgerald, the golfer, or were you hoping to mine something out of it, and then when the hour was over, you're like, God bless America, nothing came out of it? Let's just say I saved you guys an hour plus, okay? (laughs) I saved you guys the legwork of having to listen to what Larry had to say, hoping, just thinking, praying there might be a glimpse. And by the way, there, 
there might be a theory based on a couple of words he said during the podcast. We'll save that for a little bit later. But we do have breaking news on this very same day of the recording. Kyle, tell us about the brand new running back in town. Yeah, James Conner is now officially in the fold. And there were some, you know, reports that he was visiting and it seemed like it could happen. And, and now it officially is. And having James Conner, I think, makes a lot of sense. We haven't seen contract terms for him yet, but I'd assume it's a, a pretty low cost team friendly deal. And the Cardinals needed a big running back for short yardage between the tackles. I think James Conner fits that bill. He did a lot of it with the Steelers. And the question will be how much of a role will he have? What will Chase Edmonds role look like? The Cliff Kingsbury will probably be vague about that for the next few months. Um, but, you know, with the way Chase, Chase Edmonds played last season and as complimentary as Cliff Kingsbury has been about Chase Edmonds, you'd expect him to have a sizable role. My guess would be bigger than last season, and we'll see exactly how big. But you definitely have that pairing now where you've got the quote-unquote thunder and lightning, the guys with the varied skill sets and can work together in certain situations. So to me, it made a lot of sense where you did not pay big money at running back, but you got somebody who's a veteran who's done it in the league. And now even though your running back room is very affordable, I think you like the talent in that room and you've been able to spend that money elsewhere because you didn't pay big money on a running back. And you know what, if I'm Cliff Kingsbury, to your point, Kyle, I don't hint whatsoever who's the featured running back, who's the number one running back. Honestly, I want that competition in that room. Two running backs in their mid-20s in the final year of their deals, a one-year deal, prove-it years for both guys. Hey, let the competition begin. And hopefully, Darren, they push each other throughout the season. I don't think there's any question that would be the hope. Although, when you look at the kind of things that Cliff Kingsbury likes doing with the offense, it does seem to skew a little bit more towards Chase Edmonds. Although I will say that, you know, uh, James Conner is a fairly good pass catching running back. So um, I do think he fits in that regard. He's been banged up a little bit over the years. I mean, he's played double digit games each of the last three years, but there have been times when he's played and he's, you know, struggling because of whatever lingering issues that he might have. And I just think that ultimately you needed a veteran running back. You needed the bigger back. I mean, you could go in a lot of directions with this. I mean, with all due respect to James Conner, and I, this seems kind of harsh, but in the very business light of where we are right now, I mean, if there's a great running back prospect there in, let's say, the second round that you love and you want to grab, you know, I'm guessing nothing James Conner signed necessarily meant that he's absolutely going to be on this team this season either. Now, I think ultimately he will. I think I think what this does really is is – gives them the flexibility to not draft a running back. And given their other needs, I think that's important. And I like the idea, however many banged up injuries he might have had, I like the idea of teaming Jace Edmonds and James Conner. I think that's good. And I do think they're both kind of workhorse mentality kind of guys that I think will help in that regard as well. So earlier today, I texted a personnel guy, uh, let's just say involved in the evaluation of James Conner. And he mentioned as I skimmed through some of what he said, that he really liked him coming out of college, really likes the pro tape. The Cardinals obviously like who he is as a person. That's well documented. We'll get into that and, and just what he's come back from. Uh, they love the aspect of adding another leader and hard worker to the locker room. No, Kyle, we're not getting into it right now. He's a <laughs> nipple-footed big man is the, uh, the way he's described with power, can catch. I know Ron Wolfley's brother, Craig Wolfley, former Steelers, great offensive lineman um, and longtime Steelers analyst, mentioned on the air to Wolf that that's an underutilized part of his game, the pass catching out of the backfield. So if anybody's going to get that out of him, you got to figure it's Cliff Kingsbury. And, uh, and then, of course, the short yardage and goal line situations, that's something, obviously, the Cardinals in areas where they would, they would utilize him. But again, to your point, Kyle, I think it's, it's a good pairing. And the last time that he was at his best, which was 2018, his position coach was James Saxon. And did we not speculate openly for the last month on Cardinals Underground, the podcast here, that, man, that would be a good fit. And sure enough, uh, you know, with all due regard to LeVar Ball, I think we've spoken into existence here on 
Cardinals underground. Yeah, and, and getting the vibe from James Conner at his press conference, it sounded like he was hoping for a, a long-term or a more lucrative contract in free agency and probably his injury, a, a turf toe type injury that he suffered in an ATV accident. Maybe that played into him not getting it. And his last last two seasons have been okay, but they haven't been uh, crazy production wise. So I think his market was obviously muted and now he does get a good chance in a scheme that is friendly for running backs. You've got Kyler Murray next to you. So, you know, you're going to have lighter boxes as far as guys focused on the running backs. And we've seen what Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds can do when, when this offense is rolling with the run raid. So James Connor has an opportunity to come here, reestablish his worth a little bit and get back on the market. To me, the thing that stands out the most, like you said, Paul, is that short yardage type thing because Cliff Kingsbury likes to go for it on fourth down. If it's a, a fourth and one, fourth and two, I mean, he's shown the the idea of going for it and you need that big back that can get that one or two yards. And th that sort of thing is important, extending a drive. And maybe he's not the same home run hitter as some of the other running backs in the NFL. But if you have somebody you trust in short yardage, that's important. And there were a couple of high profile decisions last year when the Cardinals didn't go for it on, on fourth and one and kick some field goals and eventually lost games. So if they can get that short yardage thing going and, and feel good about that package, feel good about James Conner, I think that's a big deal. And, and we'll see how that plays out during the season. You think this is foreshadowing in any way, Darren, to the evolution of this offense? Should this tell us or just reinforce the Cardinals might just be more of a straight-ahead run team this year? See, I, I've – you know, I know you've brought it up before, Paul. I know Wolf has talked a lot about it. I, I don't know. I, I, I would have to see that. I mean, I, I think that this offense did a lot of things early in the season last year, uh, doing it the way they were doing it. I know it was kind of hit and miss, but, I mean, I, I think they would – I think they want to be in a position where if they have to turn to that, they can do it a lot more effectively than they were last season. As to Kyle's point, when we're talking about, you know, having a, a fourth and short, you know, if you're sitting back there and a defense is looking at instead of Kenyon Drake perhaps standing next to Kyler Murray, it's James Conner and the threat of, you know, James Conner getting ahead of steam in a short area on a plunge up the middle on fourth and one or Kyler pulling it then I think you, you have a little bit more heft, heft to your offense than maybe if it's Kenyon Drake, you know, maybe, maybe that's part of it. I, I don't, I don't think all of a sudden they're going to start wanting to run the ball all the time. I just, that just doesn't, that doesn't click unless, unless Cliff Kingsbury has gotten to the point where he's like, I can't win doing what I'm doing. And I, I just, we've had this discussion before. Right. I don't, I don't understand the point of having Cliff Kingsbury as your coach, if you're going to have him overhaul everything he's done in his life as a coach, you know what I'm saying? And I'm with you. I'm not going to truly believe it until I see it, but here's what I'm seeing so far. And I'm wondering if it's a tell they begin the off season by giving Sean Kugler a boost in status and pay. They elevate his influence, if you will, on the offense. Uh, we know what he's all about. That's straight ahead run game. Then all of a sudden you go out and you make the move for Rodney Hudson. Well, what does he do really well? Uh, he's going to hold that point of attack. And then Brian Winters is signed, also known as a mauler uh, at the right guard position. It just seems, Kyle, that some of these moves by themselves, no. But when you start adding them up, four or five individual moves like this, you, you could really make a case. I wonder if the identity of the Cardinals offense is changing before our eyes. I think that is the identity that we've seen the last two seasons when the Cardinals offense is rolling. It's because they're ripping off five, sometimes five and a half yards per carry in, a, in an entire game. We've seen the Kyler Murray factor with Kenyon Drake when he was rolling, when Chase Edmonds had big games. So I'm with you. I think they want to run the ball efficiently. I don't think it's going to be the straight ahead. I still think zone read when you have Kyler Murray is the optimal way to run this offense because he's such a threat with his legs because he makes those linebackers or that defensive end freeze up and try to figure out what to do. And I think that part of it, adding in play action and the quick game, I think that all ties together. 
but I don't think there's any question that they want to run the ball efficiently because we've seen the two sides of the Cardinals offense when they're running the ball well and when they're not. And when you have the mobile quarterback, that's going to be one of your main strengths offensively. And I do think they have to get better in the passing game, and that's going to be a huge key. But you got to be able to run the ball and keep teams honest like that to get the passing going. So I think it certainly seems like something that they want to do. Like you said, with Rodney Hudson at center now and DJ Humphreys is a great run blocker. So you've got some guys on that line that can really maul. And, and I think that's going to be a pretty big part of their offense. Yeah. And I would also argue for me, um, I, I think they've upgraded on the offensive line, but I would also say that they just needed to upgrade on the offensive line. I don't, I don't, I, I think that's just an overall, we want better offensive linemen here rather than we're getting guys that, their strength is the run or I mean if you're talking about offensive linemen to me you're you want big physical guys if you don't have big physical guys across your offensive line you're not running you're not passing you're not doing jack squat so I mean to me that that was ultimately where that went could they help in the run game I think they can but I think they can help in the pass game too and and I you know I I agree with Kyle from the standpoint that like I feel like where this team was let's say in their down the stretch of Kyler's rookie season when things were clicking, um, I just felt like the defenses got off balance a lot more, and, and it was too easy to not get off balance this past year, and I think they're trying to get back to that. Rather than necessarily fundamentally changing a whole lot, just getting better at what they were already trying to do. And you know what? That was my next question, and this, this is an honest question. Can they run it the same way they ran it last year? The latter half of 2019, the Cardinals' run game was clicking, and so was the offense. The first half of last season, the Cardinals' run game was clicking, so was the offense, and Kyler Murray was a legitimate MVP candidate. And then everything changed. Defenses seemingly made an adjustment. Not seemingly, they did. Do the Cardinals need to adjust, Kyle, this year? And does this portend the adjustment they've decided to make in the run game out of necessity? Yeah, I think that's a a huge storyline going into the season because you're right. There was a stark contrast from what the Cardinals did down the stretch in 2019, early 2020 to those last, what, six, eight games probably. And they obviously need to fix it. And whether that's schematics or it was just a matter of not having enough talented players on the offensive line at receiver, certain things where they feel like they couldn't open up the offense because of personnel deficiencies, that's something that I'm sure Cliff Kingsbury is working hard to figure out all offseason, and they're going to have a plan, and we'll see if that means major overhaul, more tweaks, if they feel like they can just keep exactly what they were running, but now they're ready to implement it better because Kyler Murray's more used to what he's doing, because you have Rodney Hudson and, and A.J. Green and Christian Kirk in the slot, and maybe you feel better about your personnel, but... Yeah, I mean, I think if you go into those first four weeks or so and you're still not running the ball well and the zone read looks discombobulated, that's going to be a bad sign. So we'll have to see how they look. That's just sort of my, my takeaway on, on what they might tinkering with. And we said it in December, and I'll say it again, adjust to the adjustment. The defense has made an adjustment against Kyler and the Cardinals. And, you know, what's in store? What what exactly is the response? And and they and ran more. Team. They ran some more bootlegs in the last couple of games, and they did change a few things. So I'm interested to see what sticks from those last few games. If those are legitimate changes, or if those were just quick fixes because we what we were doing wasn't working. Well, in another example, whether it was on some of the pregame shows, Rob Fredrickson and Bertrand Berry, former Cardinals, were both pretty adamant that, you know what, Kyler under center, isn't a bad thing in some of those situations. It presents a different dynamic to a defense and and can keep him a little more honest based on what he's going to do and what does that mean for the run game. Sam Acho on the Big Red Rage, former Cardinal, and obviously has a high football IQ, high IQ period, and he brought that up on his own. You know, Kyler under center a little bit more and what that does and forces the defense to adjust accordingly. It's not quite as easy, obviously, to crash the edges, which seemed to be happening in the latter half of the season, Darren. It's I'm I've always been fascinated with the Kyler under center uh, comments because ultimately, you know, we're all we always talk about the quarterback being comfortable and, you know, hey, you know, what plays are they running? And Cliff's always like, hey, Kyler won't say anything. He says, give me the plays and I'll do whatever. 
Kyler's like, I don't have any favorites. I'll just do whatever. But it seems like the under center thing does impact Kyler. He doesn't necessarily like to do it. And Cliff doesn't have him go under center in part because Kyler doesn't like doing it. And I'll be curious as he continues to kind of evolve as a quarterback, does he get to the point where he's comfortable with trying some of these other things to make things better rather than, okay, I'm, I might go a little bit out of my comfort zone because for the, basically for the greater good, could, would he be willing to do that? I, I'm curious because I do think that, you know, if you're able to put him under center uh, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, I mean, again, it just opens up more avenues for you. And when you're not willing to do it, then that changes some things. And I understand why some of the reasons he wouldn't want to be down there. But I also understand the concept, in my opinion, like when you're looking at a fourth and one and the ball is being snapped and you're sending it two or three yards back, further back, and then you've got to make up that ground while the defense is coming at you. That concerns me sometimes just on a, this isn't a Cardinals or a Kyler thing. That's on a general level. I see it in college all the time too. What'd you guys make of a, I'm calling him James Earl Connor, by the way. That is his middle name. What do you think? It just sounds so regal. James Earl <laughs> Connor. Obviously, uh, you know, there's the Darth Vader hook right there. Okay. The James Earl. But it just, I, I wonder how often. I wonder if it's only his mom who calls him James Earl Connor. I'm not exactly sure. But we're, I'm, I'm going to see if I can get, if we can ever actually get into the locker room, have a face to face encounter with a player in the last <laughs> year, I might be able to ask him that question. But until then, I'm just going to have to suffice here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. I did like his comment where he said, quote, I feel brand new. So, you know, the big red reset there button, if you will, uh, Kyle. Yeah, it's been kind of a common theme among a lot of these free agents where I think that's natural. I mean, you go to a new place and a new fan base is excited to get you and you've got new teammates and new surroundings. Like, I think anybody that changes jobs like that will be kind of nervous and kind of anxious, but also excited. So he's, he's ready to go. And he spent a lot of years in not only with the Steelers, but in college in Pittsburgh. So he's, he's known there. He was a great story um, being there and, and battling cancer for, uh, I think a couple of years and getting past that and being an NFL player. So it's, it's a very cool backstory with him. And now he's talking about, you know, this next chapter and what he's going to do. And I think he's invigorated by it. Like we've heard from AJ Green and, and JJ Watt. And to me, it's such a big question. Like you have veterans that have performed a lot in the NFL. And if, if a lot of these guys click this season, it's really going to raise the ceiling for this team. And there's downsides, there's injuries, there's age. I mean, there's some question marks about these guys too. So that's one of the big things that I'm watching as well. Like how do all these guys come in and how do they look? And because if, if you, if you hit on a lot of them, you're in pretty good shape for next season. It's funny because you, you're mentioning all these guys and how, what are our conversations all through the weeks have been about the age of all these guys they've added. And then it's like, then you get James Conner who doesn't even turn 26 for another couple of weeks, three weeks or something like that. And it's like, but you see, you think of him as this aged veteran because we've heard about him for a long time and he's a running back. And, it, you know, again, obviously those guys are in different positions. I mean, I, I think I've heard more, quite frankly, from fans when his name first came up about his injury situation than I have of, J.J. Watts or A.J. Greens, quite frankly, and they're both in the same boat. Uh, and it's just kind of funny to hear it. And I, I just, from all I've, from all I've been able to tell, and, and a, a Zach, who we work with, uh, worked in Pittsburgh and loves the guy and, and thinks he's going to be great for this locker room, for this roster. You know, he's, I feel like he's the kind of guy who's, you're going to root for. And when you listen to him talk about teaming with Chase Edmonds and working together, I just, that that's something that, you know, a lot of players say, but sometimes when they say it, you don't know if they totally mean it. And I felt like he meant it when he said it. I do feel like he's going to be a team first guy. And I, I think that is part of the reason they sign him, not just because he's 230 pounds. Yeah, four years with the Steelers. And really, it feels like eight because those four years he had at Pitt, they share the same facility. To hear Larry tell it, uh, it's, you know, this, this hybrid thing between Pitt football and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And just because he's been in the spotlight, obviously because of what happened to him with Hodgkin's lymphoma and, and battling that, 
yeah, it feels like we've known him forever. It feels like he spent a decade in Pittsburgh, just like AJ Green did a de decade in Cincy and JJ Watt a decade in Houston. And, you know, you go through some of his background. I don't know if you guys have done it yet, but just a quick thumbnail in high school, he was not only a star running back, but a star defensive lineman. <laughs> that's, that's a solid combo right there. You don't, you know, you got, you're running back and you had like 30 touchdowns his senior year. And then you flip over to the other side of the ball and be a three technique. So only in high school, that's, that's outstanding. I love like the different paths to the NFL of some of these guys. Like you're right. Some of them are just complete physical freaks at the age of 15 the, the Darnell Dockett YouTube always comes to mind and yes. some of these guys are just absolutely wrecking house from age 15 and they're already defensive lineman size or NFL running back size he's maybe 215 pounds which is a good size D lineman in high school and then there's guys like Smokey Brown who barely made his high school team and didn't make the traveling team at Juco and still becomes a an NFL starting caliber receiver so it's fun to see the different paths or whether it's the elite five-star recruits or the guys who had to scratch and claw to make it and it, they all eventually made it but it just goes to show how different everybody's path can be the only time darnell dockett ever called my name out in the locker room and it wasn't <laughs> followed by a menacing stare where he wanted to rip my head off was he was actually smiling because I had recently retweeted his high school video and he had <laughs> forgotten about it. He thought it was hilarious. If you want a good watch on YouTube, Google that up. I mean, it's absolute. If I was the parent of the offensive lineman, he was abusing that game. I would have come down and just pulled my kids straight out of the game. I mean, honestly, I, it was, it, I would have pulled the ripcord on that one. You realize when James Conner went to Pitt, he was a true freshman and he broke Tony Dorsett's record for rushing yards in a bowl game. Let that hang in the air for a minute, right? 229 yards rushing in a bowl game. Uh, as a sophomore, he was the ACC Player of the Year, had nearly 1,800 yards rushing, 26 rushing touchdowns. And then his junior year, the opener, he tore his ACL. And it was during rehab where he started getting fatigued. And then they ran tests, and they found the presence of a mass in his chest not unlike Eric Berry of the Kansas City Chiefs, who actually became his mentor. And the two of them met on the Ellen DeGeneres show, looking at the background for the first time they had texted for a good year. And James Conner at the time declared he was going to beat it. He was going to return to football. He did, obviously, but didn't have a great senior season. And then his pro day, he ran a 4.6540. Most of the projections were he's going to fall to the fifth or sixth round. Steelers, knowing what they knew about the kid, drafted him in round three. And it says here in some of the uh, some of the anecdotal information that in his rookie year, before he ever even played an exhibition game, he had the top-selling NFL jersey throughout the month of July. Beyond Marshawn Lynch or Tom Brady or Dak Prescott, anyone, he had the top-selling jersey because of what he meant, his story, to so many people. And that, that's just, you know, it's intriguing stuff. And then I guess apparently I read on a little bit more during the 2018 season, his Pro Bowl season, he began growing a mullet. And so that endeared him to all the Steelers fans because I guess <laughs> it says here that's part of the Yinzer culture in Pittsburgh, embracing the Yinzer culture. I have no idea where, what that means. Where is Craig Wolfley when I need him? I need some Pittsburgh perspective here. Somebody called Doug Tamarow. I think – Ultimately, uh, while I can't necessarily put it into words and I've never necessarily lived in Pittsburgh, I do have a kind of a, a vague feel of what Yinzer culture would be. So I can I can see it. I mean, it's funny. I mean, the kids Are you saying I mean, the mullet and the Zubas. Is that what you're saying? I think absolutely. I yeah. mean, think think Ron Wolfley, 1985. So <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think this is a guy who understood what it was like to be in Pittsburgh. I mean, he grew up in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, and you said spent all those years in pit, whether it was college or the pros. I, I, it is kind of interesting to have him kind of like come cross country for this this kind of mid career change and, and see what it might mean. But you know, again, we we want to talk about oh, are you, were you planning on? Did you want to get away from Pittsburgh? Was it time for a change? Let's face it, he was a free agent, and this is the team that wanted him, and that's why he came to Arizona. And he would have stayed in Pittsburgh if they had needed and wanted him, or he would have gone to Green Bay or. Tampa Bay or wherever Jacksonville if he needed to so you know I saw another it was a it was more of a mainstream website uh Kyle and I don't know if you saw some of these analytics but 
because the Steelers, despite the great start, their offense kind of lost its identity and, and what they had traditionally done. There were three games last year where because of health or otherwise game planning, James Conner got 20 plus touches and averaged better than five yards a carry. It was the games in which he actually got into a rhythm and they actually fed him the ball where he was at his best. There were three games that stood out and those were the only three games where he really got a bit of a workload. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, think it's going to be rare to see that type of workload with the Cardinals. I don't think you signed him to be a, a 20 touch or a 20 carry guy. And he does kind of have kind of an interesting career arc because he was playing with some great Steelers offenses in the beginning there with maybe the best offensive line in football when he started. And you're right, last year the, the Steelers had a great record, but the offense was not that good because Ben Roethlisberger is not the quarterback he used to be and he, he wasn't the same downfield threat. So it probably was harder for James Conner to run in those scenarios. And coming into the Cardinals, I feel like it's a pretty good setup for any running back like we talked about earlier. I think having Kyler Murray with such fleet-footed ability is going to be huge for the running backs. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying where he's a bigger back and those type of guys can maybe improve when the game is late, when the defense is tired, especially when they're physical and can wear people down. But I don't put too much stock into something like that. I think that was more just random variance than anything. But I think if you if you have him in the fourth quarter, I mean, we talked a lot about Kenyon Drake last season where he was able to do that late and, and get some big runs late. And I think that could be a part of it, especially if the Cardinals play fast and their offense is good and they're moving. If that defense is tired, having a big back can help in the third and fourth quarters. And you know what, Darren, to your point earlier, if he was a 30-year-old running back, I wouldn't even bring up 2018. But the fact he's about to turn 26, and just a couple of years ago, he had a Pro Bowl campaign with nearly 1,500 yards from scrimmage and 13 touchdowns. I vividly remember when that whole Le'Veon Bell holdout was going on, and there were a lot of snarky, mouthy know-it-alls in my fantasy football draft. And there was James Conner. They're thinking Le'Veon Bell's going to sign. And I'm like, no. And I plucked James Conner out of the third round in that draft. And boom, the Pauly Pigskins, we rode James Conner to glory. So (laughs) I'm only hoping that the Cardinals can see that sort of ability. And once again, that was with James Saxon as his position coach. So it's intriguing. On a low-cost, one-year prove-it deal, a guy who's turning 26, why not? And, and, and I like your point earlier. If Najee Harris falls to you in the second round and James Conner doesn't even make the team, you know what? Okay. No harm, no foul. Ultimately, I think because of the age and because of the, the circumstances, I mean, I do think in a lot of ways there are, there are ways where running backs can end up having these one-off seasons separate from each like he could have a big year in 2018 and then come back and have a because so much of what a running back is doing a lot of times is circumstance as well I mean if, if this offense starts playing the way we're talking about it trying to play like and it, it becomes that efficient running game then all of a sudden he's in a really good position and I do think he's going to be in a better position quite frankly here than he was last season with the Steelers because I think Kyler Murray is in a much better place in his career than Ben Roethlisberger is with his so I think that alone could help if he stays healthy and he's got the chance to stay healthy because his they won't necessarily say go into every game saying if possible we need you to have 20 to 25 carries I don't think that's how it's going to play out and um he, he like you said he is younger and he has that ability to come back and and you're not i mean people are going to say james connor because just like we said at the outset it seems like he's been around forever and everybody knows his name and he's been to a pro bowl so there's all these whatever expectations but i mean if they had signed in mid-april uh Joe Schmo, the running back, to a, a relatively cheap one-year deal. Nobody would have batted out. Okay, he's just here to fill out the room. Um, I, I don't just just for the same reason. I'm not. I'm not saying you should necessarily see this guy come in and blow up the statistics. I'm also saying you, you just because he's named James Conner doesn't mean you should be sitting there and automatically assuming if he doesn't get 1,200 yards, it's not a good signing or it can't help this team. Well. And I love your point about the difference in quarterback. I go back to Kyler Murray's first training camp and what Chase Edmonds said in August, that Kyler Murray in the 
is like an extra blocker because the defense has to respect the running ability of the quarterback. Well, that wasn't a factor for James Conner at Pittsburgh, obviously. I mean, all 11 guys, none of whom had to worry about Big Ben scrambling for anything. So right there, that's got to be a benefit if you're a running back going from the Steelers to the Cardinals just based on the quarterback position alone. Yeah, and that was, to me, the concerning thing down the stretch is you should have had that numbers advantage when you handed the ball off, running the zone read, and the Cardinals still were very inconsistent down the stretch and, and didn't have that type of efficiency that they did earlier because, as you remember, they set a franchise record in yards per carry in 2019, and early in 2020, they were even above that. They were averaging a healthy 5.2 yards per carry, which is awesome as a team. So it was going great, and then it fell apart a little bit. So you can see the potential of the running game. And, and James Conner, if that's working out, then, yeah, it's going to be a great place for him. But like we mentioned earlier, they got to figure out the way the defense are playing it. And obviously – running more of that five defensive line front where they're trying to close those outside gaps and, and trying to figure that out. So, and they probably looked at tape and maybe they liked James Connors running style in this offense. I, I don't understand offenses well enough to know how he fits in, but obviously they signed him for a particular reason. So I, I agree with you guys. I think there's, this is a nice value play where he's going to be cheap and he at the very least can be a short yardage between the tackles guy. And if he shows some of that explosion that he did younger in his career, then you have somebody that can really be this tandem piece with Chase Edmonds. So Darren in the mailbag, have you gotten any of the ASU fans? What does this mean for, you know, Benjamin yet? Have you gotten any of that? Uh, not yet. I'm guessing that'll be next week. And, and it is going to be interesting to see what it means for Eno Benjamin. I mean, I, I, I think we saw last year that he had a lot of work to do to make up some ground to get on the field in the first place, and this just kind of underscores it. You needed players anyways. I mean, you needed guys in the running back room, and and they needed to make this move, in my opinion, before the draft because you don't want to go into the draft saying, okay, like we said earlier, it'd be great if that guy's there, but if he's not, you don't have to worry about it. And I think if they have to go into camp without any more running backs, and I'm guessing they would probably sign an undrafted rookie at some point too, um, then I think they're okay with at that position, and they'd be okay with doing those things. And so can Eno Benjamin make some headway and push somebody? Can Jonathan Ward, who uh, actually got past Eno Benjamin on the depth chart last year, can he do something? You know, those, those are the questions that we're not going to know until they're on the field. It'll be interesting to see if guys get on the field with everything going on in the NFL, because I think that would really, really help somebody like Eno Benjamin. Um, but I, I know there's a lot of fans out there who are curious about Eno, and I'm just saying the circumstances right now is he's got a, a steep hill to climb right now to, to get into the mix, I think. But, but, Paul, they also don't have the Kenyon Drake or the David Johnson that's making the 8 to $12 million where you know this guy is playing – no matter if he's struggling, I mean, David Johnson got didn't play at the very end of his tenure with the Cardinals, but even at 3.7 yards per carry or whatever, you're rolling him out there all the time. And I think Chase Edmonds has earned that. He's not making the big salary, but he's on the rookie deal. So he's proven that he deserves to play. But if you know Benjamin outplays a James Conner and a Jonathan Ward in training camp, then there's not going to be any gripes about putting him in the, in the game. I mean, the salaries are, are all pretty even. So I think it's definitely like, you know, if, you know, shows up and has a great camp and has made this big leap from year one to year two, I think playing time is there for the taking for all three of those guys behind Chase Edmonds. I do, I do think special teams will play a role with whoever it is. It might you, you might not say if Chase Edmonds is your starter, you might say, Chase, we're going to back off there. But every other running back is going to have to play some kind of role in special teams. That's been part of the problem with Eno. Um, I don't know how you get necessarily better at it uh, other than when you're actually at the facility with the team. I mean, it's not like being able to run routes on air or whatever it might be. But um, I do think that'll play a role, too. So I'm, I'm curious to know. Uh, if Eno is able to make some strides in that regard, because I know that's one of the reasons Jonathan Ward ended up ahead of him. And signing James Conner or any veteran running back reduces yet another tell for other teams as to which direction the Cardinals might go in the draft, right? So you did that with Malcolm Butler in the cornerback position, obviously an area of need, 
But if you hadn't made a move there, it would have been brutally obvious which position the Cardinals desperately needed. So now you can play the game a little bit more. You can truly a take the best player available, although need is always factored in, everybody now. And then you keep teams who are also in need of that same position from maybe jumping you in the pecking order and being as willing to make that commitment to uh, separate from assets and move up the draft board. So that's something else it does for you. And again, as you guys said, there's no guarantee the running backs you like will be there in the position you want to draft them. So all that being the case, uh, I guess the question becomes now is you have this offseason work that's supposed to start mid-April, as in next week, the week before the draft, supposed to start? I mean, where where are we with that at this point, Kyle? Seems like a lot is still in flux with all that, and I think the the NFL and the Players Association still have to agree to what's going on, and it's, it's an interesting time because last year it was pretty clear that COVID-19 was raging and there was no chance of doing any on-field, in-person work, and now... The numbers are getting better. The vaccinations are getting more plentiful. So we're obviously on the right track. But from a player perspective, they feel like we're not there yet. We're not out of this this worry zone. So they don't want to rush back and, and do the in-person stuff. And obviously the coaches would prefer the players are there to teach them and to have them lift together and to get on the field eventually and, and run some of their installs. So it, it's going to be an interesting, you know, probably few weeks, month or so. And Seahawks and um, the Broncos, I believe it was, just came out and, and said that they don't have any plans to go to the voluntary portion of OTAs, which is easy for them because it is voluntary and there's no contractual obligations unless you have a workout bonus. So if they all stick together like that, it's going to be hard to to crack that, I think. And we'll see what other teams do in the ensuing days, but it's definitely coming to a flashpoint where everybody's going to need some answers very quickly and, and we'll find out, but it seems like the players are, are pretty adamant about not wanting to show up until they're good and ready. You know, that actually sparks a light bulb over here with Pauly pencil neck. Since I tore my shoulder, I've been rehabbing my shoulder. I got to ask our boss, Tim Delaney, VP of broadcasting. Am I in line for a workout bonus this off season? I mean, <laughs> I've actually been working out for the first time in recent memory. Maybe there's a bonus somewhere in my contract. I'm not aware of. Maybe my agent had the foresight of factoring in a workout bonus in the offseason. i got to check on that. Thanks for mentioning that, Kyle. I appreciate that. I'm hoping you're not holding your breath on that one, Paul. I'm just saying. <laughs> I haven't spent the money yet. Put it that way. So if some, of the, if some of that money trickles down to me for mentioning it, just go ahead and send me a check. Good. Well done. Well done. Like any agent, you're going to get your cut. That's right. Yep. You get percentage. That's right. Your, your handling <laughs> fee there, Kyle. That's, that's well done by you. You wet your beak a little bit on that one. That's good. Uh, so, all right. That's what's going on there. Now, have we, honestly, before I get into the whole Larry thing, have we heard anything? Is it, you know, speaking of off season, Larry, wait, wait, what do you mean if we heard no anything? Longer, he's not on the roster, right? We already determined that. Or what was the final clarification on that, Darren? Was that just sort of a sort of an accounting move, if you will, on the roster and the depth chart? How did that work on azcarmels.com? It was a clerical error. And okay. That's what we're going with. What do you mean if we heard of him? You just got through at the outset of this podcast, you just said you were listened to him for an hour. Okay. Well, I just want to make sure there's this vacuum of information out there before I try and fill that void. Oh, I'm ready. Fun. I'm ready for you to parse these 11 seconds of <laughs> football comments for the next 11 minutes. That's right. That's right. Well, look, I mean, it was all golf. It was the subpar golf podcast. Give them props on that one. <laughs> it's not a whisper rock. Um, none of us will get within a mile of whisper rock. Let's just put it that way. Okay. There's just, they don't, they wouldn't have guys like us uh, up there, especially our game. You literally have to have a certain handicap to even Larry couldn't get in initially. Didn't matter what kind of check he was writing. He couldn't get in. He told the story until he shot under 90 to get into whisper rock. Is the handicap is a, is a legal handicap that I can't play golf. That's, I'm pretty handicapped by that. Yes, yes, yeah. You're precluded. Um, don't, don't, don't even bother with the application process, Darren. Okay, For, forget it. Um, he said his best round is a 70. He shot a 73 times. He's never gone below 70. Um, he told the story, by the way. Where's my bobblehead? Here we go. 
he told the story again of the bobblehead where he had committed to bobblehead night for the coyotes and dropping the puck yet he was also playing in the pebble beach pro-am so he left on hole 13 in a private jet flew showed up pre-game for the coyotes dropped the puck bobblehead night shook a few hands waved to the fans and then flew immediately back to pebble beach and closed out the weekend and uh and won he's a two-time champion of pebble beach pro-am by the way so he told that story that was pretty solid over there but when he got around and then he he talked about as a minneapolis native the two people he met that had him a little bit nervous and it was prince and he said he met michael jackson and he's told a story of meeting prince at paisley park the complex you know in the twin cities and that's that's, that's a real you know threshold moment for any twin cities native and larry was there along with some other dignitaries and vips and they're backstage and i guess someone came through and instructed them how you're going to greet prince when he comes by the do's and the don'ts and larry thought he was in Minneapolis legend, couple of Pro Bowls under his belt. He had played in like Prince's rec league for kids that Prince had supported. And so he shook his hand and he gave him the anecdote and he, he figured, and Prince kind of, that's great, I'll see it. And he moved on and Prince just <laughs> pretty much shined Larry and kept moving on. And then he told a story of meeting Michael Jackson and uh, I'll just leave that for the podcast, but let's just say Michael Jackson was, um, he was Michael Jackson, very peculiar in that encounter. And it was, uh, it was a Michael Jackson moment in that one. So uh, Larry called it, I think, quote, bizarre in that one. But as for football, they asked him about his longevity and the fact that, once again, knock on wood, he's, what, missed six games in his career? Is that the total? Six? That sounds uh, – well, was it six going into last year? I can't remember. Maybe. I can't remember if we're counting that last game of the year. And he said, quote, fortunately, I've been able to stay injury-free – for some reason, I've been able to do it thus far. Can I grab those two words, thus far, and act upon that? If he is retired and or going to retire or semi-retired, it would be past tense. The fact he's speaking in the present tense and he said, thus far, I'm taking that as a sign and I'm building off what I said last week, gentlemen, that deep down inside, I think that Larry thinks he has something left. And as long as he can still play, he will play. Hence, thus far to me is an indication that I think there is still more to come from Larry Fitzgerald in an NFL uniform. What, what if he said thus far in the context of I know that if I keep trying to play, it's my body's not going to hold up. And so that's what thus far meant was like he can see that his body can't do it anymore. I mean, let's we, we know he, he missed that last game, I think, because he had a I think it was a groin injury that was probably way worse than anybody let on because nobody wanted to make it sound like he might not play the game. But that was the uh, impression I was given was that that injury was not a good one uh and it, it takes a lot for larry to miss a game so um I, I mean all props to you paul i mean i i i find it impressive that you can lie in your bed at night and and come up with these week after week i mean we, we're, we're trying to have this bit at the end of every podcast and you you have nailed it every time it's not like I'm creating this stuff. This isn't like off the onion or something. I, I mean, this really happened. This is a real podcast. This is a real quote from Larry yeah. recently. In addition to that, hang on now, Kyle. Did you see over the weekend, Bruce Arians Foundation, his chari charity foundation, I think it's at Arians FF or foundation. They tweeted out a promo about their upcoming charity golf tournament. There was one golfer pictured. And it's not a current Buccaneer. It's Larry Fitzgerald as the pictured golfer in the Bruce Arians Foundation tweet. Now, come on now. Of all the players and pictures they could pick as the current Super Bowl champion, and he took former, well, uh, you know, his former player, Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, do you not look at that and wonder, okay, what exactly does that mean? 
So are you trying to tell me you're going to be doing a Zoom with a retired Larry Fitzgerald in November, and then all of a sudden he's going to pop up on a Tampa Bay practice squad and, and win a Super Bowl ring next season? We're going to get some deja vu? A la Drew Stanton, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, no, I think Larry's. I think Larry at this point is going to play, but I do wonder if it was for the Cardinals, why is that not already a done deal? So what does that mean? But but see, if, uh, what if he if he's going to play? Why would why wouldn't it be a done deal with anybody, whether it was here or not? Like why why would he why would he be waiting for the Buccaneers or the Vikings or whatever? Which I've already said a million times is not going to happen. But if he was waiting for a team, why would it be less likely that he would be waiting on the Cardinals than anybody else? I mean, it, I don't know. It's a valid point. It's a valid point. <laughs> I wish I had. <laughs> I wish I, I wish I. I feel like record scratch. Other than, other than, there's some element of timing here that we don't understand. It's, that's all it's I got. A, that's all I got in that one. That there's something about the timing and the announcement of which, maybe it's predicated on a contract situation in the salary cap of another team, and then perhaps needing to make room, and that's predicated on a move they're going to make in the draft. Yeah, that's the ticket. It's interesting because it just feels also unprecedented. Like there have been guys that you knew were going to wait because they didn't want to do OTAs and they were just going to sign with a contender before training camp and like a John Abraham, like doing that sort of stuff. And there are certain guys that you just kind of knew that was their plan. Dwight Freeney did that a couple of years. Um, but Larry Fitzgerald, like it's, it's very rare to have somebody in mid April, not make any decision and not kind of say what's going on. I always thought he would be like Drew Brees where, okay, maybe we take a while, but before free agency starts, I'm going to have a concrete decision and people are going to know it and I'm going to announce it to the world. And the fact that we don't obviously has given Paul a lot of time to cook up some theories, but I really have no clue the motivation behind it and 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 why it's taken months i mean we were thinking maybe late january or early february would be the announcement and it just ticks on so i i'm not going to hazard any guesses i still think the odds decrease that he plays as the days go by but i i, I have no clue what's going to happen you know what paul you next week you need to, you need to research up and find out what the latest date of a guy retiring before a season has ever been like there's been plenty of players that like want to play and no team wants them. And then they go into the season. Uh, Antoine Bethea is a great example. Antoine Bethea didn't play last year. He just announced his retirement a couple months ago, but that's because he wanted to play and no team wanted him. I'm wondering if there's a guy that's retired, but he waited, he waited all off season because it's not with, with fit. That's a thing with Fitz. He's got some place to play if he really wants to play. It's just a question of whether he's going to or not. It's not like he's unwanted. I immediately think of Brett Favre. How many years in a row did Brett Favre retire and then not retire? And then the NFL Network helicopters are over his house in Mississippi on August 1st. His training camp opens. And is he going to report? What's the deal? Is he retired or not? So we went through that. How many different years with Brett Favre? But I think Kyle might be onto something. If you listen to this podcast, you realize what a golf fanatic Larry Fitzgerald is. I mean, the dude is like pathological about golf. And maybe he doesn't want his offseason marred by the nuisance of going through the OTAs and whatever their virtual Zoom sessions, especially if he stays with the Cardinals, he knows the offense. I don't, I'm not spending my time doing that. I'll be there in training camp and I'll be sure to keep myself in shape, but I'm not having anything at age 37, 38, a fringe upon my golf, because honestly, that's about as important as anything to me right now. After you listen to this podcast, believe me, you, you realize how into it he is. And so maybe you're onto something there, Kyle. He's not going to pull necessarily John Abraham and wait till August 27th and show up, okay, or a Dwight Freeney and show up on September 18th. But maybe he's going to give himself the entirety of the offseason. And I think if that scenario happens, there's clearly going to be an understanding between Larry Fitzgerald and the Cardinals what's going on because they wouldn't want radio silence thinking he's gone, implement Christian Kirk full-time in the slot and, and AJ Green outside and doing all this stuff and then think, okay, we've got to do some wholesale changes when camp gets here. So it, it's interesting to think about what behind the scenes discussions there have been, how many there have been, what the Cardinals brass knows and what they don't. I mean, 
Larry Fitzgerald is not under contract and he's free to say and say as much or as little as he wants. I mean, he's, he can do whatever he wants and he's such an icon that he can kind of play by his own rules because in other situations, a team might say, you're taking too long. We're moving on. We're doing other stuff and we're going with other players, but Larry being Larry, you don't do that to him. So once this is resolved, maybe we get like a, behind the scenes look at it in a few years and see exactly what his mindset was. But I, I don't think we can count on that. <laughs> it's funny. It's somewhat ironical, if you will, as I make up a word, because he was asked during the course of the podcast about his longevity and the ability to stay on top for most of his career as, you know, a top three receiver in the NFL. And he said that he's told plenty of young guys that when you do make it to a pro bowl and you get to the top of your profession, that too many young guys start doing other things and just accept that they've arrived and not realize, no, no, you have to work harder because now everyone is gunning for you and your spot atop that NFL power pole of receivers or whatever position you play. So he cited, you know, when he was 34, 35 and had the 109 catch season and set the franchise record, you know, you still have to have that mindset that look football in his words is what butters the toast. And so that you got to, and he said, he's seen way too many guys get to that level, then all of a sudden their interests become more varied and multiple and it detracts from their, their playing career. And they also admitted on the podcast that the one guy he's glad is no longer around and in the game, although he hates the way it happened, is Cam Chancellor. Is that he doesn't miss Cam Chancellor one bit. And that Cam Chancellor, all six foot three, 228 pounds of him, whatever it was, was made of granite. And uh, when that guy decided he wasn't playing anymore, Larry said he didn't mind not meeting up against him twice a season. So that was entertaining. There's a reason why Larry Fitzgerald is who he is and has had the career that he's had. And it's because of that mindset. And that's ultimately what makes the greatest the greatest is that they understand that it's about the work going forward always. And even if you're playing really well. And I can only imagine some of the people that have come through here that he might be referring to that arrived and then didn't arrive and, and stopped, not stopped caring, but stopped trying to climb the mountain because the mountain you, you never reach the summit. You just think you do. I think he's a good example too, of somebody who has these varied interests. And we've talked ad nauseum about his traveling after the season and doing these other things. So he clearly takes a chunk of his time and focuses on off field type interests. But when he's back in and he gets back to his workout routine, he, he studies, he does all that stuff. So I think he's he really does a good job of having that balance when he doesn't slack off when he knows it's time to work. And then when he's off, he just goes and, and realizes he has free time. I think he, he's a good example for guys to follow where you don't have to be 365 days a year, eat, breathe, sleep, football. You can have other stuff, but when that time kicks in six weeks after the season or whenever they want to start gearing back up again, Larry Fitzgerald has always known that, okay, this is working time and it's time for me to get back at it. What if, what <laughs> if at the very end of the latest installment of Cardinals flight plan, Larry walked in and declared he was back. What if at the very end of Cardinals flight plan, we got the answer. Tim, Tim Delaney would be very, very happy for that. I should have saved that for next week. Dang, now, now I'm out of theories. No, I was going to say, don't that don't would be, that, that would be outstanding, though. Uh, and, and based on the trailer that has dropped in Cardinals Flight Plan, uh, it should be some uh, good stuff. What is it, Season 4, Episode 1? Yeah. That's coming soon? April 22nd on YouTube. There we go. Darren, uh, that's a two-man game right there. Darren knew I needed some of the uh, info on that one. He helped me out. So that was, that was outstanding here. Uh, Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. So, all right, what else? Anything else, Kyle, that we're, you're expecting that's on the radar between now and the draft, T-minus two weeks or so away? I think the last thing would be possibly a, a, another cornerback. But besides that, you know, they got the running back now. Tight end, I don't think, is a huge priority. So we've – and now we're down to, you know, two weeks or so until the draft. So you're kind of running out of time. That would be the one spot that I think is a possibility. But, you know, you look at the roster now compared to what it was at the beginning of free agency. They've 
they filled most of the things they need. And I thought Darren made a good point last week when you go into the draft and obviously you don't want to telegraph what you're doing, but even if you don't take a corner at 16 and you don't take a corner in the second round, there is some supply out there and you can add a veteran after the draft for a good price, the Antonio Cromarty type setup. So Cardinals, I think have options at cornerback, but going back to what you're talking about, Paul, where you don't want teams to jump you and grab somebody because they think you want a cornerback. That would be a scenario where maybe they do sign a guy beforehand and say, okay, we're set. Then we can really not telegraph what we're doing. And and maybe that plays into it. But I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say they're definitely going to take a cornerback in the first round. I think there's plenty of options at other positions. And when you're talking about number 16 overall, you really want the best player that's going to be really good for a long time. So I don't think you're going to be as tuned into a specific need unless, I mean, obviously if they're close as far as talent level, you'll go with the bigger need, but I don't think it's a slam dunk by any means. For example, Darren, if I told you the Cardinals at number 16 took the fourth corner off the board, you think that's feasible, plausible, likely at all? Because that's the latest NFL network. I think it was Good Morning Football. They ran through a mock draft. It was just interesting that the Cardinals go corner at 16, but it was the fourth corner off the board. It was Patrick Sertain. It was J.C. Horn. It was Asante Samuel Jr. And then the Cardinals snagged Caleb Farley, despite the back surgery and projections he might fall to the bottom of the first round. Cardinals went with Farley out of Virginia Tech. So my, my reaction to that is this. Um, one, the fourth corner on whose board? We don't know how they're ranking these cornerbacks or how they might fit. So, it, it, you know, for all we know, the second or third best cornerback uh, is the Newsome kid out of New- Northwestern or something, and they've got him ranked way higher. And that's, you know, could they be wrong? Sure, but but they, they might look at it totally different. I, I'd also say that, if you're just talking in a vacuum and you're saying, do I think they take the fourth corner over the second best receiver or the second best offensive guard? I don't know. I mean, it's it's going to depend on how they see all these guys. If the fourth cornerback you still see as a borderline potential pro bowler in his career and you see the same thing out of the guard, even if he's the second ranked guard, why wouldn't you take the cornerback? I mean, you, you basically have them as the same grade. And that's when they're going through their meetings and they're in their meetings right now. They've been in the middle of them. Uh, and I think they'll finish this week out with the regular parts of them. And then into next week, they'll start doing the mock draft stuff. Um, that's what they're talking about. That's They start having these arguments. They've gotten through the part where they've already you know, said, okay, blah, blah plays for Penn State. Here's what we saw, blah, blah. They've already done that part. Now they're getting to the part where they're going to start having the discussions. Okay, if we get up on the board and it's Caleb Farley and Devonta Smith or whatever, the wide receiver from Alabama, then they'll start having the arguments. Okay, if these are the two guys on the board at that point, who do we want more? Who makes more sense? And they start doing that top 120 board. And that's how they're going to figure this stuff out. So. To, to, to talk in these random, will they take the fourth corner off the board, it's hard for me because we just don't know all the little details that are going to go into it. And that's why you have some people raising eyebrows on draft day, whether it's the Cardinals or anybody else, because somebody's going to make a pick, especially when they're picking a 16. Somebody's going to make a pick in those top 15 picks where everybody's going to go, whoa, nobody thought that guy was going to be a top 15 pick. No, that's a great point. Josh Jones last year went in round three. Didn't the Cardinals say they had him in their top two dozen players? Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, same thing with Byron Murphy two years ago. Byron Murphy supposedly was their top corner, I believe, uh, in terms of their rankings, in their top 120. And there he was atop the second round. So, yeah, that's a great point. You're you're right. I just it was the only mock draft I've seen where there have been three corners off the board before the Cardinals and they still went corner. And I feel like this year, more than maybe a lot in the past, if you look at Cardinals long-term, they just have so few players under contract after next season that you really need good young players. And I I think, yeah, like you would love to have a cornerback, but in that scenario, if it's the fourth best corner 
or the second best wide out. Like, yeah, in 2021, you could plug the corner in more easily as to what we're looking at on paper. But if you like the wide receiver a lot more and you think he's a better player, I think they're going to be more apt to go for the better player because they have so few building blocks long-term. I mean, you got Kyler Murray, you got Buda Baker, you got DeAndre Hopkins, you got Isaiah Simmons. After that, you have a lot of guys that you're either going to have to extend in the next couple of seasons, and you have a lot of veterans that aren't going to be on the team. So I think you have to look at, at helping the team this year, but also replenishing for the future. And that's why I feel like best player available is going to be a big factor this season, maybe more so in the past. And honestly, if that's sort of the prism through which you're making the decision, corner and edge rusher, those are the two building blocks I think you need more than any other for this team. If you take a three-year outlook on the depth chart of this team, just looking at the age of the edge rushers and the contract situations, and then obviously the need for corners. So there you go. What is it? Uh, is it PTI with Kornheiser and Wilbon at the very end? They make their corrections, you know, and – because I, I was just notified by the 14-year-old punk here at Casa Calvisi that mullet is is just so middle-aged uh, that mullet uh, is is not what the kids today, they call it the flow. You know, you got the flow, <laughs> and especially these punk baseball players who it really is a mullet. It's cut over the year, and then, you know, but it's the flow. Some even call it the bro flow, where it's flow. That's more hockey, I think. That's more hockey hair, and it's flowing out the back. <laughs> so, so wait, your, your son uh, listens. I, I, need it, I stand corrected. Your son listens to the podcast live? Well, I might be kind of a loud mouth and it might be audible down the hallway. So uh, I'm impressed. My own detriment on that. Well, you know what? Uh, he, he's the one who's, who needs a haircut around here, you know? I love that the, the youthful generation is claiming the mullet as their own and now it's cool again. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> right. Just don't call it a mullet. It's called yeah, the flow. The flow. Excuse me. There you go. That'll do it for this edition of Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.